listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. Our text this morning comes from 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-10, through 10, and I'll ask you to rise for the reading of God's Word. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-10, through 10, it goes like this. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar, and His word is not in us. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. In an article for The Atlantic, Arthur C. Brooks writes this, Relatively few people are completely honest with others. Research from the University of Massachusetts at Amherst on undergraduate studies found that 60% lied at least once during a 10-minute conversation. And many lied multiple times. Distorting reality inside your own head might be even more common. As one scholar summarizes the evidence, all humans have self-deceptions. No one is completely honest with themselves because, well, the truth hurts. No one is completely honest with themselves. What do you think about that? Agree? Disagree? Keep that statement at the back of your mind as we work our way through today's message. So if you were here last week, we kicked off a brand new sermon series on 1 John. And John opened his letter by telling us all about Jesus. Who, who is Jesus? Now, we don't know exactly who John wrote this letter to. Many of the other epistles in the New Testament, we do kind of have some idea of who they were written to, but this one's a little different. The text itself doesn't give many clues, but it's likely that his audience was somewhere in the region of of Ephesus. We know from Revelation that John was very active, the churches in Asia in in that region. So false teachers had infiltrated the church and were spreading lies about Jesus, especially that he wasn't fully God. So in a big way, John writes this letter to correct those misconceptions. He's writing to to, to turn their way of, of thinking. It's basically Christology 101. Jesus is God, Jesus is human, and Jesus is for you. That was the message from last week, the first few verses Today in verses 5 through 10, John introduces one of his most dominant metaphors. And this isn't just in 1 John. You'll notice this in the Gospel of John. You'll notice this in the book of Revelation. This this metaphor of, of light versus darkness. 
Verse 5, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. In Greek, it's, it's even more emphatic than this. It says there is not even the faintest hint of a shadow with God. He's just 100% pure, unadulterated, brilliant light. And we think of light, we've got these glow sticks, right? And light does a whole bunch of different things. But John fixates on one of those things in particular. Light reveals. Light tells the truth. Things you can hide in the darkness come out in the light. Light doesn't lie because it shows us what's really there, right? Like when the spotlight is on you, there's nowhere to hide. Light doesn't lie. It's not deceptive like the darkness. It tells the truth because the source of light, God, Jesus, claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. Only there's a problem here, and it's a pretty massive problem. We don't like the light. We don't like the light precisely because it reveals in high definition and 10x zoom our flaws and failures. And we prefer the self-deception of the darkness to the truth of the light. But here's the kicker. Not only do we deceive ourselves, we also justify this self-deception as if it were the truth. We do wrong and we convince ourselves that it was, in fact, right. John calls out this hypocrisy multiple times and in many different ways in our short passage this morning. He says, if we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Basically what John is saying that is that human beings are really, really good at deceiving themselves. We're really good at whitewashing our flaws, papering over our weaknesses. In fact, we're so good at it that sometimes we don't even realize that we're doing it. We might put it like this, the natural drift of the human heart is not toward honesty, but toward self-deception. That's what the Bible tells us. The natural drift of the human heart is toward self-deception. Little by little, we genuinely come to believe the falsehoods we tell ourselves. We think we understand ourselves. We think and claim we understand our own hearts, our own motivations, but how well do we really? Is such knowledge, 100% self-knowledge, even possible? Well, the prophet Jeremiah casts some pretty serious doubt on this assertion when he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Or as the message paraphrases it, the heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. No one can figure it out. Which brings us back to the study I cited at the beginning. No one is completely honest with themselves. If we were, we'd be forced to admit that maybe, in fact, we're not as pure as we pretend to be. 
One of the most public examples of this sort of thing was the Lance Armstrong doping scandal, which came to light in 2012. Some of you may remember it. The U.S. Anti-Doping Agency actually referred to it as the most sophisticated, professionalized, and successful doping program that sport had ever seen. And in the ensuing investigation, Lance Armstrong, this famous cyclist from the U.S. Postal Service team who competed in the Olympics and won multiple Tour de France titles, and was excuse me, won multiple Tour de France titles in the late 90s and early 2000s, he was convicted, along with his teammates, of using banned substances to, to boost his performance. These included blood transfusions, blood doping, and steroids. In the end, Armstrong was stripped of his seven consecutive Tour de France titles, and he was banned from ever competing again. Armstrong continually defended his actions, and he even justified his decision to his teammates, like over and over and over again. You get the sense that he was kind of the bully pushing them into this the, the whole time. Not that they were without fault, but, but he was the ringleader, ruthlessly enforcing their doping regimen and convincing them of the importance of winning at all costs, arguing that what they were doing was not just okay, but was in fact good. As long as they won, it didn't matter. The end justified the means. And he truly believed this. There's actually a documentary on Amazon called Stop at Nothing that chronicles the whole scandal. And as you see the events unfold, it's almost like an, an alternate reality because you get the sense that Armstrong truly believed that he was doing nothing wrong in all of this. He told himself the lie so many times that he actually began to believe it. And again, we see this truth clearly. The natural drift of the human heart is toward self-deception. So maybe we're not always as honest with ourselves as we think. Now, this Lance Armstrong thing is a pretty extreme example, but we see these same sorts of self-deceptive tendencies at play in our own daily lives too, and in little ways and in big ways ways. Here's one example. I like to do the dishes. That's not the whole example. Um, and it's kind of weird, I know, but for me, doing the dishes is like therapeutic. It's the one thing I know that I can do in the kitchen without massively screwing everything up, right? At least I, my wife hasn't told me that I haven't massively screwed it up. So maybe I'm just convincing myself of that truth anyway. Uh, but I try to keep up with the dishes, which can be a bit of a challenge because my wife is an amazing cook, so she's always baking, she's always cooking something. So there's a lot of dishes to kind of try to, to keep up with. Now, most of the time when I do this, I tell myself, okay, the reason that I'm doing the dishes is what? To help my family, purely, 100%. I am doing this out of self-sacrificial love, because it's what my family needs. But when I'm honest with myself, and I kind of look at, at the underside of my heart, I realize that that's not the only reason. Because I like to be seen doing the dishes. I don't want to just do them. I want people to, to see me doing them. 
I want that, that word of affirmation. I want that, that pat on the back. So there's some degree in which when I'm washing the dishes, even then, I'm doing it for me. You see what I'm getting at, right? Our motivations are so mixed that we can't even fully know them. We try to convince ourselves that our motivations are pure, that they're altruistic, but are they really, like, fully 100%? We can imagine this line from John's letter flashing through our heads in bright neon lights. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Sometimes these are in seemingly trite examples, but when we dig deeper, we learn that it's not so trite. When we finish off that last sleeve of Oreos and convince ourselves that that will be the last one, from now on, self-control is going to win the day. Not speaking from experience here, obviously. When we unleash those harsh words on our spouse or our kid after a stressful day, and then tell ourselves, never again, I'll be flawless from now on. When we clear our browser histories so our parents won't see what we've been up to, and then we tell ourselves in all sincerity that it wasn't that big a deal because everyone does it. When we justify the credit card debt, because after all, we really needed that iPhone 14. When we withhold our giving from church because we desperately needed that vacation. When we take the overtime at work because we tell ourselves, it's for my family even though what your family really needs is just more of you. In the end, the layers of self-deception and justification pile up so high that they blind us to the reality of our own sin. And as one early church father put it, not to know your sin is the worst kind of sin. So what's the alternative here? We've got the walking in the darkness. We recognize this is not what we're supposed to do. John's big on, on metaphors and opposites, so it's no surprise when he says that the alternate to walking in the darkness is what? Walking in the, walking in the light. Sounds great. But what does this mean? Here it is. Main point for the day. If you remember one thing this morning, let this be it. We walk in the light when we see ourselves for who we are, warts and all, and believe that God loves us anyway. We walk in the light when we see ourselves for who we are, with our flaws and our brokenness and our sin, warts and all, and believe that God loves us anyway. John puts it this way in our passage but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sins. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, walking in the light entails not moral perfection, but honest self-reflection. Walking in the light entails not moral perfection, but honest self-reflection. Here's what I mean. Jesus lived the perfect life, 
died the perfect death, and rose again for you and for me to save us from our sins. That's how much He loves us. John 3.16, right? He obeyed God's law, all of it, flawlessly. He alone loved the Lord his God with all his heart and soul and mind and strength. He alone loved his neighbor as himself. He alone sees clearly right through the layers of deception in our self-justifying hearts, warts and all, and he forgives us and imputes the perfect record of Jesus to our account. So if you are a Christian, when God sees you, He doesn't see your failures or your moral lapses or the skeletons in your closet. He only sees the righteousness of His Son. In fact, as a believer, you have been clothed in an impenetrable suit of Jesus' righteousness, and it's completely seamless. Nothing can pierce it. You see, friends, when we know that our sins are covered, we can step boldly into that light because the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. The searing light of God burns away all our layers of self-deception. It lays us bare and exposes us. But that same light also cleanses us. It heals us. It casts out the darkness and restores our relationships, both our relationship with Jesus and with God and our relationship with, with one another. In the light of God's forgiveness, we are free to confess. We are free to be honest with one another about the wrongs we've done. We are free to say, man, I am so sorry Will you forgive me? Seventy times seven. We are free to name our failures for what they are. We're free to call a spade a spade and not try to dress it up as something else because we know that forgiveness gets the final say. God's light may expose, but it also heals. And we may be great sinners, but God is an even greater forgiver. Circling back to the Lance Armstrong saga, Armstrong did eventually come clean. In a 2013 interview with Oprah Winfrey, which you can watch it on YouTube, it's interesting, because it plays out more like a scene from a confessional booth than a talk show. Armstrong finally admitted to using banned substances to win the Tour de France. See, in the end, the only thing that gave him the power to move on was to confess what he did without reservation, without excuse, without qualification. See, this is a small glimpse of what stepping into the light looks like. The ultimate question isn't so much if we sin or not. The question is more, man, what are we going to do when we do sin, that's what reveals the true state of our hearts. Are we going to hide our sin 
Are we going to sweep it under the rug? Are we going to try to convince ourselves that it's really not that big a deal? Or are we going to run like mad to the cross, to Jesus, the light of the world, because he alone can take care of it? Martin Luther recognized this ongoing struggle in the life of a Christian. He said, although we are Christians, sprinkled with the blood of Christ, yet we often err. Therefore, the true knowledge of Christ causes a person to feel that he has sin. Furthermore, it causes him to lament this. It's good to lament our sin. It's good to be sorry for the wrongs we've done. As long as that drives us straight into the arms of Jesus. As strange as this may sound, because of Christ, we don't have to be perfect, but we do have to be honest. Honest about ourselves and honest about our Savior. Because where we fail, Jesus succeeds. And that means our failures and imperfections, what the Bible calls sins, those don't define us anymore. Friends, you are loved. You are forgiven, and the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin. May you believe it. May you trust it. And may the truth of God's promise give you rest for your soul today, now, and always. Amen. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastorkjolhaug at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.